Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucksters? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is WTF. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. I, uh, I love you guys. I'm going I'm to start expressing my love more. By the way, my guest today is the, uh, the hilarious Rob Reiner, who you have to love Rob Reiner. He's made some of the best movies. Princess Bride, Stand By Me, Spinal Tap. Huh? A few good men, pretty fucking good. He was uh, on All in the Family, but he's a great guy who I was very excited to talk to, who I'd never met before, who I met for the first time the day before he was supposed to come over here at the uh, the Gary Shanwing Memorial that I told you I was going to. What an amazing, beautiful event that was. It, it, the place was just filled with people that knew Gary and you know I told you guys I didn't know Gary that well the experience I had with him was really limited to parking his car once at the comedy store when I was 22 and having the interview I had in here with him that uh, Judd Apatow helped facilitate because you know Judd and I have become pretty close and Judd put together I might drop a few names talking about this beautiful event it's not really my nature but it's sort of important to put it into context, Judd put together this amazing event with uh, film footage from uh, Gary's childhood and, and footage from his, te- his television career, you know, bits and pieces of things. And he had, um, he, uh, he sort of was the, the host of the event and he had, there was music and there was, uh, you know, people re- recollecting and reflecting on Gary, one of his, his Buddhist monk friends from the um, monastery and community that he helped uh support and fund uh spoke in um the love man the love like i guess what i'm saying is i didn't really know gary but after you know spending two and a half hours with these people speaking about him who loved him and 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 talking about his life and his journey to to be open and to be in the present and to to uh to be his authentic self was uh it really changed my life a little bit it, it was weird like i felt like when i left the service it's a somber event, but it was right from the get-go a celebration of Gary Shandling's life. And it was just, it was stunning. I mean, I, should I walk you through it? I feel like I should because it was really beautiful. You walk into this big theater and Jeff Goldblum is just sitting on stage uh, playing jazz piano. You know, as people walk in and, um, and they're showing slides and pictures of Gary. 
And then um, the lights go down and Ryan Adams, Johnny Depp, Don Was, and I don't know who the piano player was. They take the stage and do... um, and do a song. I uh, I think it was may- maybe a Ryan Adams song. I think it was called "Wrecking Ball" or, or something along those lines. And they they play that, and they walk off. And then Judd comes up and and opens the uh, the show with with an emotional sort of um, reflection on Gary. But it was funny. These are funny people. So there was some always some humor uh, running through it. And and it was just you know one after the other people that work with Gary, um, you know, some people you know some some of his close friends. They oh yeah they did a sketch at the very beginning where Hank or, or Jeffrey Tambor and um, Penny uh, uh, Johnson Gerald who played um, Beverly did did a little bit that was very funny they did that in character and then yeah Judd comes up and it was just. Um, so many different people and so many different uh, video montages. Um, it was just, it was just stunning. And there was music, you, you know, uh, E from the Eels uh, went up and played a song called Motherfucker, I believe might have been the name of the song. Adam Sandler closed it out by doing My Sweet Lord, the George Harrison song with, uh, with John Bryan and um, Don Was again. And it was just, uh, it was just astounding. And, and really moving and made me want to live a better life. And I guess that's the best you can, you can ask from, from a reflection of someone else's life. It was just great. Now, now, if I can get to the other part, it was very hard for me because it was, it was, it was a, a somber event, but we knew we were there to celebrate Gary. And we, we, these were show business people and funny people. So there's a lot of people there. And I'm, and I'm kind of a fucking fanboy. I don't know if you know this about me. Perhaps if you listen to this show, you certainly know that that I do tend to do that, but I'm overwhelmed and I love, you know, actors and comedians and musicians. I, I, I just love them. Like it's, it's amazing. Like I still, it's very hard for me even now after talking to so many of them and, and being in their presence and realizing they're just people, they're still sort of mythic to me. And I know right away that they're just people, but there's some part of me that's still like, yeah, that like Judd kind of told me to sit right up front. So I sat right up front with my buddy, Jerry Stahl. It was next to, to Mark Everett from the Eels. And then right over from Jerry, like two seats down, Tom Petty sits down. And it's like, he was cool. I introduced myself. And even though he seemed like a, you know, a sweet guy, just a regular person, but it's fucking Tom Petty. I'm at a memorial service, but I'm inside, inside. I'm like, Tom Petty's right there. Tom Petty's right fucking there. Oh, this is sad. But Tom Petty's right there. All right, they're starting. So, you know, it, there was that element happening for me because I don't go to these things and I don't ever really, I don't really feel like I'm in show business most of the time, you know, because I work here in the garage and I do my show, but I don't think that anyone watches it. Premieres on IFC May 4th, by the way, the new season of Marin. But um, but it was really uh, incredible, the, the emotions that were there, but also like I, I met some people and I don't know if it's wrong of me to talk about it because I wasn't there to meet people, but right behind me Annette Benning and Warren Beatty were sitting and you know I just turned around and I didn't know they were there and I'm looking right at Warren Beatty and I choked I was like hi hi how are you my Mark Marin hi Warren right well of course and I couldn't even look at him I couldn't even hold eye contact and then Annette Benning this was really the you know outside of the the emotions that were going on with the memorial, this was before, you know, Annette Benning said she liked this show and that her daughter loved the show and gets a lot out of the show. So this is what I'm telling you. For years, 
I thought, I thought like, you know, my father, you know, I, I talked about my father at his father's funeral and he was a little too chipper, you know, for a funeral. But I realized like, you know, when you don't see all these people, or you don't know all these people and you're around certain people and you're excited, it's a weird combination of feelings. You know, I was like, I was so excited to see all these people that I have such respect for and that I'm fans of that it was, uh, you know, it was sort of counterintuitive to uh, to the to what was supposed to be a somber event, but turned out to be a, a beautifully deep and hilarious and well-balanced and, and enlightening night. And it was all very sweet because it really was a celebration. It was a horrible um thing that happened but you know in the wake of it literally you have this amazing celebration of someone's life with real emotions and kevin nealon was just astounding he went up there and he did you know a piece of that he had written that was obviously hilarious but he had somehow built the piece to sort of handle his emotions because they were very close and he got very emotional. But the comedy that he was doing, the piece that he was doing, the stories he was telling, the jokes he was doing, was they, they sort of built as his emotions built. And it seemed as if that he intertwined them intentionally so he could have the feelings that he was having yet still be funny. It was, it was something like I'd never seen before. It was so impressive and beautiful. And, and Adam Sandler, who, you know, I don't think he knows me really or, or, or likes me necessarily, but he did such a, a sweet, beautiful job on the George Harrison song, singing it earnestly. Anyways, it was, it was really a beautiful thing, and I'm so glad I went. And Gary Schelling's going to be missed. But I'll tell you, I learned some lessons just from listening to people talk about him and his life. Just, it was beautiful. It's beautiful. And I and I'm and I'm thinking out loud here people. I'm just thinking out loud. Like a lot of you have been with me through a lot of stuff over the last 6 or 7 years. And this is sort of the the, the next phase. You know, how do I engage my feelings in my life? I got this beautiful email from a guy after the the monologue about empathy and love and and grief and whatnot. This just came in. Subject line, your show helped me today from Chad. He said, uh, hey, Mark, I've been listening for a while. And this is, I'd be, I'd be honest with you, these, you know, these kind of emails, I had no idea that my life would, would be so rich as to, to have this effect on people's lives. And, and the gratitude and humility that I'm able to experience from the feedback, it's, it's just like, it's so great. It's better than anything. It's, it's better than money. It's better than, 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 you know, being known, any of that shit. To, to sort of like, you know, to reach out and connect. Hey, Mark, I've been listening for a while. I love your show. You're amazing at it, and I'm always entertained by it, and, and I usually get something from each episode. Today, though, today was different. My dog, Teddy, has been battling cancer for almost a year. He lost a leg to it. He almost died in surgery, and he's had to wear a cone and deal with the pain this whole time. And you know what? He's been awesome through it all. No whining. He bounces back every time he needs something done and he hasn't let it dampen his spirits. He's a special little guy and he touches people. The vets all love him. People on the street stop and pet him and give him belly rubs. People across the street come to see Teddy and after that, more often than not, they tell us how amazing he is and how lucky we are to, we are to have him. But my girlfriend and I found out yesterday that the cancer is spreading and it's not treatable. He's fought hard, but it's too much for him and that breaks my heart. I don't know how I'm going to deal with it when, when the time comes. Today, the day after I found out the horrible news, I listened to your Steve-O episode, 701, number 701, and the intro hit me. It hit me hard. Because of you and what you said, I'm feeling this grief. I'm feeling all of it, and it's a terrible feeling to feel. 
I usually shut out my emotions. I'm the man's man that doesn't cry, but I'm bawling today off and on. I don't care anymore. And listening to your show made me okay with it. I'm going to cry now when I need to, and I'm going to feel all of this and love him in the time he has instead of distancing to make it hurt less. Your show did that. Your show did this to me. It allowed me to open up and be emotional in a way I haven't in at least 30 years. After your intro, I stopped and went to the restroom at work and I cried for about 10 minutes. But you know what? When I came back and started the interview, I laughed. And I haven't laughed in a little while, but I did today. Your podcast helps. It helped me a lot. It's opened me up emotionally. It's pointed out flaws I didn't know I had. Your intros have made me a better person and your interviews have opened me up to other points of view and to the interconnectedness and shared experience of life. I wanted you to know the difference it made and to say thank you, Mark. Thank you, Chad. P.S. I'm going to include a picture of Teddy just so you can see. This is our special little guy and there's a picture of this this sweet, sweet dog. And I'm sorry you're going through that, Chad. And, and thank you for the email. See, th- this, is, this, this is what I'm learning and also was sort of an undercurrent of a lot of what people were saying about Shanling and about what's important in life. I'm starting, to, I'm starting to feel that. Now that I'm not spinning out all the time in fear, I'm starting to realize, and I think you guys realized it ahead of me, that you know this is what life is is having these kind of connections, you know, sharing this kind of stuff with people and, 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 and having an impact on each other's lives through the human experience, not through distancing ourselves from it. Trying to get past the panic and desperation and entitlement and self-centeredness and that kind of stuff. Now, this isn't going to turn into some spiritual show. Did I mention I was sitting like almost right next to Tom Petty? Did I mention that? And I talked to Annette Benning. Did I mention? Did I mention that she likes the show? It's it's still about that too. And it's still it's still about funny, right? Right? Some most days, right? All right. So I watched uh, Rob Reiner's new film that his son co-wrote about his son's experience, based on his son's experience uh, with addiction and rehab, and and some of Rob's experience as well. And we kind of talked about that bit a bit. That's, uh, that movie's called Being Charlie. It comes out on May 6th. Uh, as I said, it was co-written by, uh, by his son, Nick Reiner. And this is me and Rob Reiner. Uh, I, I, I had a lovely time talking to him. I got a real kick. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or need to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts got him how long were you in albuquerque i was there from third grade to uh 
through high school, and my, my father's still there. So you get down there a lot? Not much. You know, I, I wish I got along better with him and I felt compelled oh, yeah. then, to go. Then you'd want to go. <laughs> exactly. It was like the thing we saw when we were at the uh, Gary Shandling Memorial. Right. You know, and yeah. this, with his mother. I thought that was an amazing thing. It was hard for me, I think, on some level, I felt a little embarrassed because I don't know if I act appropriately because I don't go to those things. Uh, not, not that there's many of them necessarily, but- yeah. But they're going to be more and more. I know. Mark, as we, as we go along. I know. <laughs> But I get so excited to see everybody, and I'm always amazed when people know me because I'm like, you know, I'm this outlier. And so I, I see you talking to Billy Crystal, and I'm like, oh my god, it's it's Rob Reiner and Billy Crystal, <laughs> and Billy Crystal, and I, I'm acting like it's a it's a wake. But I'm, yeah. I'm like, oh, this is terrific. Yeah, well, inappropriate. I mean, that, that's what's terrible too is you, you know, people that you know and you 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 hang out with and yeah. stuff. And then you see them in that's in those circumstances, you know. And as you get older, you don't see people as much anymore. No, that's true. And why do you think that is? Time and I think it has to do. I really believe, you yeah. know, they all that whole thing they say where you're born alone, you die alone. Yeah, that, that bit. Yeah. Well, I think what happens as you get older, you start thinking about, uh, you know, that. Yeah. And also that. You don't want to spend any time with anybody that's going to annoy you or make it uncomfortable. And as you get older, you realize that there are more and more people that annoy you. So you limit your your world keeps narrowing and getting narrower. And this happens at a subconscious level or a conscious level. I think it's unconscious. I don't think it's. I don't think you're consciously saying. I think I'm going to narrow my world now. No, you you think. You know, I don't really like that person that much. So why should I stay? You know, it's like it's like when you're young, you'd never leave a movie theater until the movie's over. Right. Now you go, I don't really like, why do I have to watch the last hour of this piece of crap? You know, because I have such a limited time on the planet. But then, but also you get up earlier when you get older. That's killing me. That's like, true. What, sit, what the fuck is that? I think it's God saying this, you're running out of time. Yeah. You, you better yeah. take a couple more hours today. Yeah. yeah. But then you, it takes longer to pee. Mm -hmm. So so you maybe that's why you have to get up earlier because you got to factor in all the time it takes to pee. <laughs> I pee. I get up all night and pee. I don't know. Yeah. What, you, you don't do yeah. that? I do. I think I get up, you know, like two, two or three two times? times a night, it's, you know, and, yeah. and then, then I can't go back to sleep. Right. Yeah. But I, the annoying thing, though, but you, I don't know. We're, we're all kind of annoying. I mean, if you really like... I mean, if you really think of your friends, <laughs> I mean, who are they? Yeah. You know, they, and, and I guess it's just who you can tolerate. And also, I think you get you have family stuff, you have work yeah. stuff, and now with uh, with phones and computers, it's like all the time is eaten up, unnecessarily eaten up. Yes. And, and, and you and you fake, you you trick yourself into believing you're that you're actually either working or communicating with right. people. Right. You know, I'm texting, I'm emailing, I'm doing, you're not talking to anybody. Exactly. You're, just, you're talking that, to a, a computer. Right. And that and, and actually talking to people yes. is like it's like exhaust, we're doing now. It's, it becomes exhausting. It like, is exhausting. If you could text somebody, it's like oh, yeah. oh boy, I'm gonna talk thrill. to that guy. I'm so happy to, have to not have to, to talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I look at this. I look at, at the Gary Shandling thing. Yeah. Last night, and I'm thinking, you know, look at all the friends he had and all the people who he was close to. I and know the people, and I'm saying, is that true? Yeah. Is that true? Or, or Well, I don't know. Like, I I only met him once when I talked to him in here, and I was always a fan, you know, and, and I'm I'm friends with Apatow. So I don't know, but I was sort of amazed. Like, these people, yeah. he sounded like he was, uh, 
He was like a, a like mentor, a Buddha, and a yeah. guy that he sounds like he wasn't doing the work that everyone gets hung up on, but instead he was just sitting around talking to people about what they were working yeah, on. Yeah, and he's helping Sarah Silverman, and Sa- he's helping everybody, and the, helping Apatow. And, it seems and, like that that basketball game was the foundation of modern show business. Yeah, I, I know. And my wife kept saying, <laughs> "How come we don't have anything like that? You just like to sit in your room. You don't do anything. You gotta. Why can't we have people come?" Or I said, "Because I don't like any of these people." <laughs> why? Not that I don't want. I don't want to speak out of school or anything. Yeah. But I had uh, I had Gary Marshall in here the other day. Yeah, Gary. Yeah, he's a great guy. And there's a couple of th- a couple of people have said that you had the best parties. We did at actually. your house when we you were did. married to Penny. When, yes, it's true. When when I was married to Penny, it was like a fraternity house. I mean, we had you know it was Albert Brooks and Louise Lasser and Jim Brooks and John Belushi. And yeah, everybody and Chevy and everybody came to the house. So you and did it, that? Yeah, I did that. But that's when you're young, right? Here's the thing. Yeah, you look at this show like Friends, right? Friends, the show Friends. It's so funny. And, and 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 you've got all these people. Yeah, they're they're in their I guess their twenties yeah. or something. Right, and they're hanging out with right. each other. And I guess that's what you do. You go in packs. But when you get into your thirties, your forties, your 50s, right. you don't do that anymore. You, you got kids. You got kids. You hang out with them. And then when you get older, you don't have that. Hey, let's go and hang out at the coffee shop. They yeah. don't do it. Maybe you get one guy. Yeah, one guy. I mean, I talked to your father. I was at the house you grew up in, I think. Yeah. I well, went over see, there. That's why I think that's why Jerry has uh, comedians in cars yeah. going for coffee. Right. Because the fact of the matter is, if he didn't have that show, he wouldn't be with anybody. Yeah, I don't. You yeah. know, this is his opportunity I know. to get out of the house and hang out with that's somebody. That's right. Or do, and that's why I think he goes on the road to yeah. get out of the house. Yeah. I mean, it's not like he needs money. No, he doesn't I, need He just likes to do it. Yeah, I, ne- I never understand that. You know, you see these guys that have a billion dollars. It's like, why, why are you doing anything? Yeah, because they like to do it. Yeah, exactly. Like or they, they, if they don't do it, they're just sitting around going, when am I going to die? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when does this happen? Yeah. But, you know, I went to your father's house, and he says he hangs out with Mel every night. Mel. Mel and my dad, every single night. Really? Uh, every and, night? Yeah, uh, yeah, virtually every night. They, That's they, really something. Listen, it's wonderful that they have each other. They met each other when they were in their 20s yeah. doing the you know, yeah. show shows. And to have that kind of bond and that bond to stick, and they make each other laugh, they yeah. enjoy each other's company. They both lost their spouses yeah. recently, so they have that. And they say that, they, you know, they watch any movie that has Secure the Perimeter in it. <laughs> they, they watch it. Do you go over there? Do uh, you- yeah. Yeah, I've been over there. I was over there one time when they got into a huge fight over uh it was an appearance that Mel did on on the on the Carson show and and uh they were arguing about it was like the Sunshine Boys. Yeah. They were arguing about who got the you know which line got the biggest laugh and Mel was a guy who was played a uh, an expert on wine. Yeah. He could detect any wine and they blindfolded him. They gave him a glass of wine. He tasted it and he went, mm, "I think it's a red. It's a it's a cabernet. It's 1970." And Carson says, "No, no, that's not. It's not." He says, "Okay, wait a minute. Let me try he takes another sip oh yes it's a red it's a bordeaux it's a 1983 no it's not that he says all right let me taste it in okay i got it it's a white and it's and that was a big laugh and then mel says that's the line that got the big laugh and i said no my dad says no it was the line after that it was the line after it. he's t- he takes another sip and he says oh i know what it is it's chiclets 
and and that got a big laugh too. And and my and Mel said no, but the but the white wine got the bigger. My dad says yes, but it's not as funny as the chiclets because here's a guy who was a wine expert who couldn't tell the difference between a liquid and a solid. That's the funny part. So they yelled at it, yelling at each other. And you're sitting there. I'm watching sitting there. It. I love it. Love it. Yeah. Well, you know who else I talked to? I Norman Lear. I talked to. Yeah. And he said uh, about you that uh, that like I guess you 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 vacation with his family or you live somewhere. Well, you know. well, no, my well. Here's the thing. My my dad and mom used to go with a group of other people. There were there were the the five families. It's not like the Italians. <laughs> the five, it was yeah. it was uh, Larry Gelbart and his wife Pat, mm-hmm. Norman Lear, yeah. and uh, Francis, yeah. uh, Dom DeLuise and Carol, Dom and Mel Brooks yeah. and Ann Bancroft. And my folks would go and they would rent a house together, and they called it Yenemveld. Yeah, for those who of you who are not Jewish, <laughs> it means heaven, the other yeah. side. Yeah. You know, when you yeah. die, you go to heaven. Yenemveld. <laughs> That's what happened. Fun. Like, yeah. yeah, they have fun. It's you know five Jewish families sitting around making each other laugh. So that, yeah. that's what they did. Now the fact is, I I used as a kid used to go over to Norman Lear's house all the time, and he was actually the first person that ever thought I was funny. Right, okay. that's what he said. He said yeah. you you had the demeanor of an old Jewish man. Yeah. at like seven. Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I I was playing. I don't remember it, but I was playing jacks with his daughter. We yeah. were about seven or eight, and I was like, "No, here's what you do. You don't know. You don't pick the ball up. You put the thing." And I was doing all that yeah and norman thought it was a funny and he told my dad he says your, your son is really funny and my father says that kid no no that brooding kid that sits in the in the corner he's, he's so, so sad not funny no, not funny but they they uh and then i finally bought norman lear's house I, what, it, really yes well it was actually uh henry fonda's house oh yeah initially. is that where you live now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well that's years later Many years later, yeah, <laughs> at nine, yeah. yeah, nine, and then about about thirty years later, <laughs> bought the house. Thirty-two, yeah. It's funny, your father. Uh, you just said said you were the brooding kid. I was, I was. But the, you know, but you talk to your father, and, and within seconds, he'll be my my son's friend Albert. Yes, the oh, funniest no. guy yeah, I've no, ever no. seen in my yeah, life. He was the funniest, and Albert Albert was a prodigy. At age 16... A comedy prodigy? Uh, yes, a comedy prodigy. At age 16, he could make not just adults laugh, yeah. but professional... I mean, you know, world-class professional comedians. Yeah. My dad, Mel, he'd make them laugh at age 16. It was an amazing thing. Yeah, he said yeah. he used to do a shtick in the curtain in the oh, living no, yeah. room. What he did was he played a, 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 an es- the greatest escape artist, <laughs> greater than Houdini. And he basically said, here, just... Uh, he took a, a, a napkin and you just draped it over his hands. He said, ah, it's good enough. Like, there was not even tied. <laughs> yeah. And he put a thing in his mouth, you know, just a, a napkin in his mouth, and he went behind the drapes. There was nothing. And all you heard from behind the drapes is, help, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. He had nothing to stop his hands from taking the napkin out of his nose and out of his mouth, and he could just walk out from behind the drapes. I can't breathe. That was it. That was the bit. Yeah, that was the bit. And you guys have been friends since you were what? Since we were 16. That's crazy, yeah. right? Yeah, and you're yeah. still friends now? Yeah. He came up to me the other, uh, last night, you know, because he won't yeah. come on the show. He won't? Uh, no. Why? Because I don't you know. You tell me. You know me. why? Because you don't pay him. That's why. Really? Is that I it? I think that's it. Pay. It's not because he doesn't like to talk about himself? No, no. He's happy to talk. He just doesn't want to waste all that good comedy. <laughs> you know? what, what do you think it would take? I don't know. A don't limo know. and 500 bucks? I don't know. But he's but he's, but he's brilliant. He is no, as, I know. I like him. He's the, the, the I most love him. brilliant. Very, yeah. And very, here's what's weird. Mm-hmm. So you've got 
Carl Reiner yeah. and Mel Brooks. Right. You've got Rob Reiner and yeah, Albert, Albert Brooks. That's hilarious. And also Jim Brooks, mm-hmm. who's also a friend. Mm-hmm. And then my son, Nick Reiner, yeah. is best friends with Joey Brooks, which is who's Mel Brooks's... I mean, uh, 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 Jim Brooks's son. Really? So you got three generations, generations of Reiners and Brooks, and all the Reiners are Reiners, and none of the Brookses are Brookses. <laughs> You've got yeah. Mel is Kaminsky, <laughs> right? Jim is Bernstein, and uh, uh, <laughs> really, yes, yes. That's funny. Who was, yeah. the, who was the third? And one? Albert is Albert Einstein. is Einstein. Yeah. yeah. Everyone changed. They like Brooks. That yeah. fit. Not Jewish. Not no. too goyish. Not, yeah, exactly. It can kind of <laughs> in ju- the middle. Yeah. I worked. I just did the fourth season of my show on IFC, and I worked with Sally Struthers. Yeah, uh, for one episode, and she had lovely things to say about you. Oh, that's. I see my in my fantasy world because uh, you know I I don't consider myself to be actually in show business. I think you guys, (laughs) you guys just talk to each other all the time. I still like when when like like I'm like you got to call once a week, right? No, no, you don't. No, even you spend all the years on television. No, no. I mean, you know, you you listen when you're doing a show like that, eight years, you're as intimate as you're going to get. Sure, you're, you're a family. Yeah, but then you know you move your different ways. Yeah, and you, and you go, go on to different things. No hard feelings. You know we are. We're like the. I, every time I make a movie, it, yeah. I feel like we're uh, a traveling circus. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you go from one town to the next. Yeah, you're a, sir, you're very you're packed together. Yeah, and then you're on to the next thing. Well, how? What kind of director are you? Nice guy. I'm pretty nice. I'm yeah. pretty good. I, I I like to have a nice set. I like to have a nice experience because I figured this out early on, but I really understand it now is it's all about the time you have on the planet. Right. So if it's horrible and crappy and terrible, yeah. then that's all you have. So <laughs> might as well have a nice, fun experience, and maybe you'll make a good movie, maybe you won't, but at right. least the time you're spending is you're you're enjoying it. Well, I just watched the most recent one that they sent me that I guess the the reason why uh, we got you today was the uh, the uh, the Charlie movie yeah, being, being Charlie. Being Charlie, yeah. Now, the backstory on that is your son co-wrote it, right. you directed it, right. and it was based somewhat on your son's experience? Yes. My my son when he was 15 years mm. old uh st- started having problems with with drugs. Yeah. And uh, as parents, your first uh you know, your first charge is to keep your children safe. And so I didn't you know, I didn't know what to do. None, yeah. m- Michelle didn't know what to do. We yeah. didn't know what to do. So he went into different, you know, programs, yeah. rehab programs in wilderness and different yeah. places. And it none of it worked for oh. him. It just, you know, he'd come out, he'd relapse, he'd come yeah. out, he'd yeah. relapse. And as he was doing this, the last one of the last places he went was this place, Promises. He met this guy, Matt Alisafin, yeah. who's one of the writers on the film. And they started writing about what their experiences had been and what they had gone through. Uh-huh. And when he got out and he was now doing better and feeling good, and then now he's 19, he started writing with Matt. He wrote a half hour, which was a funny, but it wasn't really touching any yeah. of the really deep things. And I said, you know, Nick, you could go a little deeper with this. Why uh-huh. don't you try? And he, he tried, and he did an hour comedy drama, uh-huh. and we tried to sell it. We couldn't. Uh-huh. And then I said, you know, maybe you can make a film out of this, because I think there's something in here about not only what you went through, but how it affected uh, your mom and dad and yeah. how it affects. So we started working on it together, and over the period of like a year, we came up with this thing. And it was like, it was the most personal uh, thing I've ever been involved in, because, I mean, we're dealing with you know, his relationship to me and what he went through. And I'm learning more and more and learning probably the stuff I should have known sure. early on that would have helped me help him a yeah. little bit more. And it brought us very much closer together. And we made this film. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's one of the most 
uh, emotional and satisfying creative experiences I've ever had. It's, that's a great story. And, you know, I got like 16 years sober and I was sort of, whenever I see it depicted uh, in te- on television or in a movie, I'm, I'm not critical, but I'm like, let's see if they, they get it. Yeah. And you got it. You know, you got the part of, of, that, of it that, that is, you got that relentless, unexplainable nature yeah. of, of, of the disease of, of addiction. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm watching that thing. I watched it all last night and my brain and, and, and God knows you must know that it, just in general, you, there's some part of you that's like, it's going to be a happy ending. Yeah. The girl, yeah. he's going to get the girl. And, and, and it's, it's not an unhappy ending, but it's a difficult. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a tough ending, but it's, it's a hopeful. It's ending. hopeful and honest. It's I think. hopeful and honest as, as he is going to struggle uh, his relationship isn't perfect yeah. with his father, but it's better than it was, and it's going to get better. And he's off on his own, trying to make his way in the world and yeah. do the best he can. It doesn't mean that that kid never relapses, sure. or right. You know, I mean, that's part of what you have to go through. But that's You're, a ballsy way to end a movie. Yeah. Well, it's honest. It's <laughs> yeah. honest. And you know what's interesting, Mark, yeah. is that. You know, when we were working on it, uh-huh. uh, the first draft, he was like, the father f- character was like an asshole. I mean, yeah. he was just a balls out asshole. Yeah. And I said to Nick, knowing how he had felt about me, you know, back then. Yeah, I couldn't we, see you being have, that. No, we have a good relationship yeah. now and it's gotten way better and it keeps getting yeah. better. And I said to him, just as a filmmaker, I said, you know, you, you can't have a character who's, you know, so one-dimensional. You right. gotta, if it's going to be interesting, you've got to make it, you know, yeah. th- three-dimensional for all the sides. And he's like, yeah, yeah, but the guy's a prick. He's a prick. He's not a good guy. And as the thing progressed, and I, that was tough for me to hear, but as the thing progressed, he came to me at one point, he says, you know, Dad, I think the, the father is a little bit too too much of an asshole. We've got to make him a little bit more. I said, okay, let's try, you know, and but this was as our relationship yeah. was changing. And then the last scene in the movie, which is like you say, it's not yeah. all roses and, right. you know, we changed that scene a hundred times while we were making the film right up till the day we shot it. And that always reflected how things were moving uh, in terms of did, our relationship. Did, well, so you, I imagine you got uh, closer to him Oh yeah! During this process, absolutely. Like I couldn't see you being as much of a, of a cold guy as the I, guy. In the- I wasn't. I wasn't. Yeah. But, but I had to be strong. Yeah, as yeah. least to what they told me. You sure, know. Sure. And it's not my nature. Yeah. My nature is not to be the help. authoritarian. Yeah. yeah. You know, tough love guy. I'm yeah. not that kind of guy. Yeah. You don't. Feel but they that told way. me that all these, like we say in the movie, everybody with a desk and a diploma. Sure. Tells me you got to do this because otherwise you're got to detach with yeah. love. And I, it was hard. I couldn't do. I mean, I had a hard time. Now I'm, I'm learning a little bit more about what his situation is, and I can be more of who I am. And he's doing good. Yeah, he's doing good. How many kids you got? I have three. Yeah, he's the middle one. Yeah. Oh yeah, and yeah. you have an older one. I have an older one who's twenty. He's going to be twenty-five. Show business. Uh, he's well. He's a broadcast journalist. Oh okay. And he he's got, he's uh, works in uh, Houston. Uh-huh. He's on the air a couple times. Oh yeah, times a day. Yeah. And what's the younger one do? And the younger one is just she's she's eighteen. She's uh-huh. just graduating high school and going off to college next next uh, fall. It's exciting. Yeah, I'm the empty nest now oh. so my wife has the you know oh she got, got the stuck. pull yeah she's yeah. stuck with me <laughs> this yes, is the, this is where it begins yeah, yeah. the real challenge yes yeah <laughs> it is i know i know it is. i know because they're like you know that what like my brother's going through it a little bit he's his kid just 
went off to college and one of them is away at school and he's like, so now what? Yeah. Now, now, well, you, I, we, you know, <laughs> when you're when you're married, we married now 27 years, you have all these distractions, the kids, the things, yeah. the thing, and then all of a sudden, oh, it's you? Yeah. <laughs> do I like you? I like you. I love you. And then, but what we're discovering is that yeah. we do like each other. We oh, really that's good. Do. Yeah, yeah. That's a nice thing. And to we break, like to hang with each other. To realize. Yeah, after, yeah. That's yeah, her yeah. in the house, right? That's her in the house. Look, she if she didn't like me, she wouldn't drive all the way to, to Glendale or wherever the fuck we are, Eagle yeah. Rock. Yeah. You know, yeah. she came here with yeah, me. Yeah, I hope she's not disappointed. Well, I hope not. But I have to bring her in. I'll show her the Obama's yeah. cup or something. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 very honored the fact that I'm sitting in the same place that Barack Obama said. Oh yeah, it's great. It's great <clears> to have <throat> you. I would have had you before, but you wouldn't have known that it was a thing. <laughs> you would have got I the asked, offer and you would have been like, What is this? I asked you last night at the right. at the thing. I said, has the fact that uh, Barack Obama been on your show has that elevated uh, yeah I, I can get Rob Reiner it's <laughs> <laughs> a, a big break for yeah, me yeah I get it no but I would imagine it does help I mean it legitimizes in well, a way. It, 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 it makes people aware of the, the medium like I yeah. think a lot of people not even of a certain age but they you know you go on these media junkets or whatever for years people would come up here and go what the fuck is this where am I yeah. am I in television <laughs> is it going to be television do we just talk <laughs> who, is, who are you is this, a, yeah. is this your house and now like the difference is like so this is where obama was yeah they, you know, that's ah, that's the yeah. difference yeah, you know yeah, what i mean yeah, yeah they put it on the map a little See, bit that's the other thing that's good is you bring the people into your garage yeah and you just start talking yeah what else are you supposed to do well i know there's no pomp and circumstance i know well there's a little pomp but very little circumstance <laughs> i saw some pomp sitting over there. yeah in the cat box uh, yeah, yeah. There's a little bit, a little bit. yeah you can clean that i gotta out a clean the bit. pomp out of the cat box <laughs> so all right so let's go back then you started as an actor now when you because I'm, I'm fascinated with the the world that you guys grew up in because it as time goes on i realized that show business was a fairly <clears throat> intimate business and that you know your father's generation you, you know there were a few studios three tv networks and people ran into each other people kind of knew each other and and there was a a you a, a, a community that seemed kind of uh, close yeah yeah and, and you grew up in that i did I did, and and it was it's strange because people have asked me so many times, what was it like growing up in that household? You know, where there was Mel Brooks and Sid Caesar and yeah. Norman Lear and yeah. Larry Gelbart and all right. this. Stuff. And I said, you know, when you're, you're a kid, you don't know. It just guys, it's just this is what you have, and it's not until you go over to some of your friends' house you realize they're not quite as funny over there. <laughs> It's, it's a little dollar. Right, these at, are just the guys your dad works it's a, with. It's a little dollar <laughs> yeah. at uh, you know at uh, yeah. Paul Schindler's yeah. house at, at the lawyer's kid's yeah. house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but when was it sort of a just an assumption from an early age? You're like, I'm going to be in show business. I'm going to do this. No, I didn't. I didn't think of that. I mean, it's interesting. I like to play ball. I love playing baseball. I love playing sports and stuff. Yeah. And it wasn't until I got into like my senior year in high school. Yeah. Where I said, Oh, wait a minute. The, and I got into a drama class, and I said, "Wait a minute! Where'd you go to high school? To Beverly Hills High School, right? So that's the high school. Okay, so yeah. here's here's the kids that were in this drama class. <laughs> All right, yeah. First of all, Richard Dreyfus was there. <laughs> Albert Brooks, yeah. Uh, uh, Julie Cobb, who was uh -huh. Lee J. Cobb's daughter. Oh, he was great. Uh, Melinda Marks, who yeah. was Groucho Marx's daughter. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> but all of a sudden, I said. Hey, I like these people. I feel comfortable around these people. They felt familiar. Mm -hmm. And so I said, oh, maybe this is what I do. Could that have had something to do with the Jewishness of the situation? Well, there was a Jewness. Yeah. There was a Jew <laughs> Jewosity. What, Groucho's kid was there? Did you see Groucho at events? No, I saw him at the house, though. He came to our house.
our house. He did. Yeah, he, he was at the house. <laughs> yeah, we had some. There was some. He was, some, some he's a little older than your dad, though, right? Yeah, he was a lot older. Yeah. Steve Allen came over. We yeah. had people like that. Yeah. And then Lee J. Cobb, that guy was something. Yeah, I can do a perfect Lee J. Cobb imitation. All right. Although it probably is not as good on on the podcast or radio because you don't see the face. All you right. know. Do you want to try? But, but twelve angry men. Okay. I mean, did you see? By the way, Amy Schumer's uh, takeoff of Twelve Angry Men. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How fucking great so, is that? It's funny. She's very funny. Jesus was funny. <laughs> anyway, Lee J. Cobb and Twelve Angry Men, and you can, you'll get a little g- more of a giggle because you'll see my face. Okay. The others won't. <laughs> okay. Everything, every single thing says he's guilty. What do you think? I'm an idiot or something? <laughs> the old man saw him right there. Yeah. Pretty good. It's very good. Yeah. It's it doesn't come in handy because <laughs> no nobody one knows, knows who Lee J. Cobb is. <laughs> Not anymore. No. So when did you start? So you do the acting class. Now Dreyfus, I assume he was always like he is. Yeah, no, he was he was he started professionally acting when he was like thirteen. With Duddy Kravitz. Well, right, even, or the be- graduate. even before Duddy Kravitz. Yeah, one line in The Graduate. Should I call the cops? I'll call the cops. Should I call the cops? Yeah, but even before that, he did. He was on, uh, uh, what was it? It was uh, Sally Field, The Gidget. Oh, yeah. And he did Ben Casey, and he did- So he was all- a working actor oh, when you were in high school. Actor. He did theater and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. But he wasn't from a show business family, though, was no, he? No, no, no. You like him? Yeah, I mean, you know, he he was one of the I when I, the, my first marriage, I yeah. was married to Penny Marshall, right? And he was one of my three best men. Yeah, 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 he yeah. A, he was a good man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a character. He wasn't the best man. He was a good man. Oh, he was one of the yeah. uh, the side. Who was the best man? Well, I had Albert? no. Albert was there, and my other friend Phil Mishkin. Yeah, Mishkin's a good Jewish name. It is. Yeah. So when when do you start acting? When did it happen? Well, I I, I started. The first thing, the first job I got, I was an apprentice at the Bucks County Playhouse. I just building sets, painting scenery, and then the right. next year, uh, out of uh, first year out of co- college, I went and started acting in a in a company called the, Pris- uh, the Priscilla Beach Theater here in and town. That, no, that was in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And really? Albert, Albert came with me. We were there together. You and Albert were in a theater group in at Massachusetts. Yes, but yes. he just came out. Like, did he go to college with you, or you just said, no. this is a thing we're doing this summer? No, what? we're going to go this summer. We're going to go. Was to it the... a prestigious thing? Or no, did... no, it's nothing prestigious at all. <laughs> all I can tell you is that we had we lived up in a loft in a barn area of the loft, and, yeah. and there was no toilet paper, and one of the guys says, I, I, this is terrible. I got to wipe my ass with old varieties. <laughs> you know, so it was not uh, not a, not luxury at so all. So you just wanted Albert to come out to have the like, yeah, well, like some... summer camp? Well, fun. We'll, we'll act together. Yeah. We'll do some stuff yeah yeah and so i did that for a while then i came back to california went to ucla and i started my own film school no i actually was in the theater school and i started my own improv group really Uh, yeah i i was friends with some of the people up in the committee in san francisco yeah i used to go up there and then i started my own group called the session uh rick dreyfus was in it and a number of other actors i acted in it and directed it comedy driven or comedy yeah yeah, comedy we did a lot and then out and then we were together for about a year and then Larry and I broke off, and we did a double act. We played in clubs. You know, we played like the Hungry Eye. Larry. Larry Bishop. Yeah. This is Joey Bishop's son. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Larry Bishop. Yeah, Joey. So here's what happened. We get- we, You're doing we, a comedy clubs. Yeah. We, well, we got booked into all the clubs. We got booked in Hungry Eye and uh, the uh, Mr. Kelly's and Rooster Tail. Really? Detroit and Paul- Mo- Mr. Paul, Kelly's in Chicago? Yeah, yeah, all of them. And then Paul Mall, you know, in, in Boston. Bishop and Reiner? 
Yeah, Reiner and Bishop, actually. I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah, I know. That's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we get booked in. The first gig we have yeah. is in uh, The Hungry Eye in San yeah. Francisco. And we're opening for Carmen McRae, who was a really good jazz yeah. singer, you yeah. know. And in the little room, they had a little room, was Mort Saul. Remember? Right. He yeah. used to do all the stuff about the With Kennedy. With his, his sweater and his paper. Yeah, you're right. But he did a whole thing about the Kennedy yeah. assassination. That was his big thing. What year was this that this you're is, talking? This uh, is 60... Six. And you're what, 22? I'm 19 years 19. old. 19 years old. And we're doing Kid. a double act. We open for, uh, and we're getting paid. I mean, we're getting like money, real money. And Larry says to me, he says, Rob, I don't know if I like this. Yeah. I said, what are you talking about? Yeah. He said, you know, my dad, that's all he ever did. He was in clubs his whole life, Joey Bishop, you know. Yeah. That's all he, I said, I don't want to do it. I don't want to be, I said, Larry, we're booked in every club in the country. He said, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore, though. I don't want to, so he, we canceled the whole tour. You didn't even get to do No, the... I didn't get to any of the things. So, he, so you're booked at Mr. Kelly's. I was booked everywhere. And, and you and did I one gig? Uh, we did the one gig, and then he said, no, I don't want to do this anymore. Oh, my so God. Then what did he end up doing, that guy? Well, he he did a lot of biker movies, and he's done some oh, movies. Directing or Directing, acting? acting. He's done some stuff with Quentin Still Tarrant. around? Yeah, he's still around. So that ended, and then I... I joined the committee, you know. Was that Fred Willard, Hessman? Who was the committee? The committee was Hessman was yeah. in it. Uh, uh, Lee French, uh, Carl Gottlieb. Oh, yeah. Uh, who else was But not in? Willard. Willard was... No, Willard was not in. He was in... Uh, he had a, he was a, he was with uh, uh, Greco. Uh huh. It's Greco and Willard, and then yeah. he joined Ace Ace Trucking Company. Ace Trucking Company, right, right, right. right. So I was with the uh, the committee. They came to, to to L.A. Yeah. And I went in that company, and then uh, Tommy Smothers came in one time, and he hired me and Carl Gottlieb, who eventually went on to write Jaws and The Jerk yeah. and stuff, yeah. and he hired us to write a summer show for Glenn Campbell. <laughs> it was called the Summer Brothers the Smoth. Sm the Summer Brothers Smother Show. Yeah. And Glenn Campbell was a star, and that's launched his career. And then we worked on the Smothers Brothers for a season. It's so funny yeah. that these guys were these... Glenn Campbell was a huge star. Yeah, he was a big star. And a big star. Good guitar player. The best. Yeah. He considered by many the best session guitar player yeah. ever. Yeah. He played on every rock and roll yeah. album. The Wrecking Crew. Ever. Yeah, the Wrecking Crew. Yeah. All the Beach Boys stuff. Yeah, yeah. Everything, yeah. So you're working with Tommy and... Yeah, uh, well, I'm, I was writing... I mean, I was the youngest. I was 21, and Steve Martin was 23, and we were kind of thrown together because we were the youngest too. So we wrote. You fucking together. kids. Yeah, we were kids. And we were kids. and did you write with Steve, or you just yeah. kind of pitched around? What no, was... I, I I was paired off with him. We wrote some good sketches. One of the sketches we wrote, they here's what would happen. They would. They would throw things out, mm -hmm. you know, the day before we were supposed to tape, the, yeah. the censors would come and say, you can't do this. It's yeah. too off the, you know, off the charts. So, you know, the, Alan Blind, Mason, we'd say, well, who has anything? Does anybody yeah. have anything? And I said, well, Steve and I just wrote this thing. It's a satire of a, a Hollywood premiere. It's like a red carpet, and they interview all the actors, and we did a, you know, a whole yeah. thing. He said, let's hear it. So I, Steve and I act out the whole thing. Yeah. We do the whole thing. All the, People laugh, and they love it, love it. And then Alan said, ah, I don't know. I don't think so, no. So it doesn't get on. Two weeks later, they drop another sketch from the show, and Alan says, wait a minute. What about that uh, Hollywood premiere thing? That was funny. Yeah. Let's hear that again. 
We do the whole thing again. Nah. <laughs> we did it like three or four times. They just wanted us to perform. They didn't care. It never got on the air. But they liked seeing you guys do it? Yeah, they liked it. But we did write the, we did write the first fart joke ever done on, uh, on national television. I really? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, Pat, Pat Paulson played a, uh, uh, the guy who was the president of the Acme Novelty Company. Yeah. And he was doing, you know, the, the pucker gum and the, the hot gum and the dribble glass and everything. And at one point he sits down on a chair and you hear a big <laughs> like this. And he says, ah, oh, somebody slipped a whoopee cushion in under me. And then he gets up and of course there's no whoopee cushion there. So, there's so. a big victory. Big victory for us, yeah. <laughs> So, so was that? Uh, but you didn't. You didn't want to necessarily be a writer in co- in television. Well, I, you know, I mean, that was to me the greatest thing in the world. At the age twenty one, I could get that job and stuff. You but, did a bunch of episodes. Yeah. Uh, well, we did a whole year. Yeah. I mean, a whole year with the Smothers Brothers. Yeah. So we, yeah. So it's you and Steve, and was Martin Mull there? Uh, no, he wasn't there. We had uh, uh, Carl Gottlieb and uh, John John. Jeez, uh, we had so many good. Uh, uh, Albert Brother. Yeah, Bob Einstein. Yeah, Bob Einstein. Yeah, yeah he was there. And oh we had wow! A lot of good, yeah, Murray Roman. We had a lot of good people. It was that's good. A, that's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, and so you really learned how to to do it to yeah. you know get it from yeah. the page to the yeah, guy. Yeah, you learn about it. I mean, I had one uh, thing that I I, I it drove me crazy because I wrote a piece. Uh, there was a song called it was Gary Puckett and the Union Gap, and it was. Uh, it was like it was a song where he said, "Are you kissing somebody else?" Or so. Oh, what was the song? Damn it, I can't remember it. Woman, woman, have you got cheating on your mind? That oh, was yeah, it. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. cheating. And so I said, "Here's the here's the thing, Tommy. You're you're with this girl. Yeah. And and you're singing the song to her. And while you're singing, a guy is just tonguing your girlfriend, just tonguing. And he said, "Yeah, but I would see it. I said, "But that's the joke." <laughs> The joke is that you're singing and asking her, have you got cheating on your mind? And she's right there doing it. Yeah. And he says, no, but that's it. So now it goes on the air. Now we're shooting it. And as he, every time he said, have you got cheating on your mind? He'd look the other way and the guy would be kissing her. And then when he turned back, he'd not, he wouldn't be kissing right. her. I said, and, he, and then after the thing, he says, see, it didn't work. I said, it didn't work because you didn't do what I told you to do. You got to kiss her while she's saying cheating. Anyway. <laughs> When you're a young kid, they don't listen to you. The way that uh, that you, uh, you you get excited, I can't imagine that when you and Albert Brooks talk, that anybody uh, like people must be just sitting around going like, "Oh my God!" Well, here's here, the thing. Here, here it goes. Well, here's the thing about Albert. Albert is the funniest human being I've ever met in my yeah. life, and when he starts. You clear out. It, you know, it's like a like a challenge dance. Everybody goes and does. Yeah. But when Albert starts, everybody stops. Yeah. And I've been in groups with Robin Williams and uh, Chevy Chase. Blue. I don't care who's there. Yeah. They Billy. They all stop to listen to Albert. And I'll remember one time. I'll never forget. He they he started in. They stopped. It was at a party. Yeah. And just killed. I mean, just killed. And then he finished. Yeah. Right. He finished. And then he left. He left the party. <laughs> About 20 minutes later, the hostess of the party calls me and uh, calls me over and says, uh, Albert's on the phone. I said, what? What? I get on the phone. I said, Albert, what, what's up? What's up? He says, listen, you got to do me a favor. I said, what? He said, I-, I left my keys in the house, in the apartment there. Can you? I can't come back. I can't come back and get them. 
can you just get me my keys and bring them down to me? He was, he had finished his before. He wouldn't go back. So I got the keys and I brought it to him. Yeah. <laughs> he had his big exit. Oh, no, he couldn't come back. He couldn't go back. <laughs> it was the right move. Yeah. No, Albert's the most brilliant person I ever he He did a routine once on The Tonight Show. Uh, he played a mime. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you ever saw it, but he, he was in whiteface. Yeah. And he had a, la- a leotard, a black leotard, and he comes out and he never stops talking. <laughs> The entire time. He just says, look here, I pulled the rope. You cannot see the rope. There's no rope here, but I am pulling anyway. And I, I, it was brilliant, you know, but it got no laughs. Everybody thought, you know, it's just like the worst mime ever, you know. Yeah, right. You know, no laughs. Yeah. So now two weeks later, cars, the, actually my dad was subbing for cars yeah. that night. The next uh, two weeks, they call him. They say, Albert, do you want to come back on The Tonight Show? And he said, and by the way, he never tried out any of his routines right. in a club. Right. He just put them on the air. That yeah. was it. Yeah. So next two weeks, and I, I said, Albert, what are you going to do? And he says, I'm going to do the mime piece. <laughs> I said, what are you, crazy? He said, the mime piece, you, 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 you got no laughs. He said, it's funny. I said, I know it's funny, but nobody laughed. Right. So he said, I'm doing it. He goes on. He starts the exact same piece with the with the talking and the thing. And Carson, and no, again, nobody's laughing at the yeah. top. All of a sudden, Carson yeah. starts to giggle. And now the audience sees yeah, right, that, right, they're, that they're digging it, you know, and the place explodes. He did it two, two, twice the in a month? Same thing in, within a month. And 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 what? But your f- dad wasn't hosting. No, that was Carson. Carson oh. had never seen the bit. Oh, your dad. So my was dad host- had seen the bit. Oh, right, right. So he knew what it was. Right. Carson had never seen it. And he starts to laugh, and he literally fell off his chair, and <laughs> and the audience got the cue. Oh, that's and insane. And so it taught me a lesson that you know sometimes you got to just stay with so- if it's funny. And also, like the the fact is, is that it, they if they were taking it seriously, he allowed them to realize that yes. That- they did, but it's so funny at that point in time that they didn't trust Johnny enough to know that he didn't hire the worst mime in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like how stupid do people got to yeah. be? So when do you start doing the All in the Family? Well, I, I, I was like I said, I was like twenty one when I did uh, Smothers. Smothers, and, yeah. and I was like twenty three. I started writing for Andy Griffith. Uh, he had a show. No, this was after the Andy Griffith a variety show. show. This no, it was a, a sitcom called The Headmaster. Yeah. He played a headmaster of like yeah. a progressive uh, high school. Yeah, and I wrote for that. Yeah, and uh, I auditioned for All in the Family, and uh, Norman liked it. He saw this episode that I out- that I wrote. I actually acted in. Yeah, and uh, he gave me a part. I was only twenty three at the time when we started. 24 when it's it came amazing on how young you guys were <clears throat> yeah. guess, when you were in the business i mean it was yeah. happening yeah and and so with uh how, how long how long did it take for that to gel with the with well the the thing about it is when it first came on the air cbs was like there was like disclaimers you know basically you know <laughs> like, we don't you know there's the, the, the we the, the, the views on this show do not reflect the right. attitudes of the of the network and really so, basically it said you know, if you want to watch this, you're, you know, we don't want to have anything to do with it. You do yeah. whatever you want. You watch it, but we don't really, they didn't promote it or anything. Uh-huh. And then it was on for 13 weeks and then 13 weeks over the summer. And after 26 weeks, people picked up on it. Then it, it took was, that long. Then it went through the roof. Yeah. 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 And did you, like the comedy on that was so beautiful. Yeah. All of it was yeah. so, the relationships were so beautiful. <clears throat> yeah. That was what was great about it. I mean, it was real. It was honest. I mean, people, we were arguing about all the issues that were 
you know, of the day, the Vietnam War, the racism. I mean, yeah. it was all we did, everything. Yeah, and and what was your relationship <laughs> like with Norman? Good. Yeah? Good. He knew me from the time I was a, a kid, yeah. A little kid, yeah. Well, did you learn things from him or in terms of, like, comedy and, and how to balance Well, what and- I learned from him, the most important thing I learned from him is to, 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 to go as far as you can with something. In other words, don't accept, uh, you know, dig further, go yeah. deeper, make yeah. it... Make it edgier. Do do more. I mean, he he. I like guess he's got the biggest set of balls of anybody yeah. I, I know in yeah. show business, and and uh, I, I got that you can you can push it. You right, know, you can right. really push it. It was beyond the edge of the envelope. I mean, we right. were way outside the envelope. Because you know? yeah, the envelope was smaller. Yeah, than, yeah. Like you know, there yeah. was uh, the social <laughs> and the war and stuff. Like you know what was going on in Hollywood because you're at that age. You know, you were draftable, right? Yeah. And then what happened with the, your peer group? And I mean, everything in show business is changing. Your father's generation doesn't necessarily know what the hell's happening anymore. Yeah, no, my father walked again, marched in the moratorium yeah. against the war. My mother uh, was uh, part of this group, another mother for peace. Uh, yeah. They wrote, you know, that she helped design this uh, poster. Uh, war is unhealthy for children and other living things. That was a very big thing during that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, the the, the war was the divided the country. And, uh, you know, we could have gotten killed. I yeah. mean, you know, my Dreyfus uh, became a conscientious objective. There were guys I knew that went to Canada, yeah. others that went to jail. Uh, it was a, it was a tough time. Yeah, and and and, uh, and 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 you were on that show, so you were confronting all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, that was seven years. Yeah, and what eight, you, yeah, eight years? Yeah, and what did you learn about from Carol O'Connor as an actor? I imagine. Well, that. what I learned a lot from him, which is if you have a good script, if you have a good story. You don't have to do anything yeah. with your face. I yeah. mean, in other words, let the let the story support what you have to do, yeah. and the audience will read in whatever they need to read in. Right. You don't have to. It, it's only when you got a weak script and a weak story that you're doing, you know, acting pyrotechnics in order to make it kind of right. Work. And he was such a great slow burn guy. Oh, fabulous, <laughs> fabulous, <laughs> fabulous. One time, oh, this is great. Yeah. One time, I'm in a scene with him, and we're in, and I can't remember why, but. I was in bed. I yeah. was in bed with him, yeah. and and uh, uh, he's facing away from me. Yeah, and I knock this uh, jug of water yeah. on the side of the bed, and it goes into the bed, and it hits him right. Yeah, and he turns around and looks at me, like, "Did you just fucking piss in this bed?" <laughs> yeah, you know, like this. Yeah. He turns around, and looks at me like this. And he just keeps looking at me, you know, like this. Yeah. And the camera's over my shoulder looking at him. And I'm just, I'm starting to go. I'm starting to go. <laughs> and he keeps keep looking at me. And under my breath, I'm saying, I'm so sorry, Carol. <laughs> I'm going like this because I couldn't stop. <laughs> yeah. You were going to laugh? Yeah, I was, oh, I, start, I had to go, yeah. Because he just kept looking at me and my like, what did you do in this bed? <clears throat> so now when you, guys, when you guys show up in movies, like after a certain point, like when you do a little bit in the jerk, or you do, you know, you show up in, uh, uh, you know, as an actor. Yeah. They, like, is that is people know you, right? They're like, Rob, will you come do this, or do you got to go audition for shit? Well, I mean, I've gotten to a point now where you know I get called once in a while. You know, yeah. I did this uh, Wolf of Wall Street a year or so right, ago. Right, the father. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was fun. And I every once in a while I do something, and and it's fun because. Uh, you know, there's no responsibility. You but know, when the, Scorsese ask for you. Yeah, they yeah. ask. They yeah. say to come and do it. And so I will always go. I mean, listen, if Scorsese says to do it, you do it. You know, I mean, you know, you don't, <laughs> yeah, right, you don't right. wait around. But I mean, 
I, I like it because I don't have a responsibility. I mean, you just go as an actor. You, right. you don't when you're directing. You got all the pain in the world. I remember years ago, Ronnie Howard yeah. called me to do. There was a thing called Ed TV. It yeah. was. Uh, I kind of remember. Yeah, that. Woody yeah. Harrelson and, yeah. and uh, yeah. Matthew McConaughey. Ellen DeGeneres was in. Then um, <clears throat> he said, "There's a part here. If you want, uh, maybe you you could read, take a you know, read it and see if it's something you're interested yeah. in." And I said, "Well, I don't have to read it. I mean, I'll do it. Whatever it is." <laughs> yeah. I said, "If it stinks, it's not my fault." <laughs> 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 you know? yeah. 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 So right now, <clears throat> the big, the first big, the first movie they directed was Spinal Tap, right? Right. Now that thing. You knew all those guys. Yeah, yeah, we were all friends. We were all done stuff together. Right, and and, and, and what, what was the con- where, how'd you conceive of that? Well, here's what happened. I did a special for ABC. Yeah, and back I think it was 1978 or 79, something like that. And the the whole special was an hour of satire of different things on television. Right. This was before SCTV, but it right. was a similar kind of thing. A man sitting in a chair, just uh-huh. flipping from one chair. There'd be a sitcom. There'd be a you know right. a commercial. Oh, I see. You know, yeah. So the device was the guy yeah, flipping. Yeah, flipping, and we'd make fun. Right. And one of the things we did was a takeoff of Midnight Special, which was a late night rock and <laughs> Don roll Kirshner. show. Don Kirshner. Don yeah. and it was Wolfman Jack, and yeah. I played Wolfman. Made it, baby. Did here the wolf. You know, I did the yeah, old yeah. Wolfman Jack thing. And I introduced for the first time Spinal Tap. Yeah, this uh, were England's loudest band. Yeah, and they came on. They did a thing called Rock and Roll Nightmare. Was it the guys? Was yeah, it was the guys? guys. Okay, it was Chris and Harry and Michael. But it was also we had Loudon Wainwright on keyboards, and we had Russ Kunkel, great great drummer, drummer who yeah. played for Linda Ronstadt and the Eagles right. and all these you know great, Hollywood you know, guys, uh, J- Jackson Brown. Yeah, yeah. So they they did it and. Chris and, and Harry and Michael started just improvising in these characters yeah. while we were doing it. I said, geez, it would be great to somehow do something with these characters beyond this yeah. one little piece that we did. And then Harry and I had an idea for a movie called Roadie. And, you know, just what was it like to be backstage, you know, the roadies on a rock and roll tour. Then the movie called Roadie came out with right. Meatloaf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we said, ah, forget that. Yeah. Meanwhile, Chris and uh, 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 Michael. Uh, Michael, they had done a thing where they played two rock and roll guys who meet each other in a hotel room and they can't remember whether or not they played in a band together and they're kind of drugged <laughs> out and <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah. And we look at that and we said, hey, let's all get together. We'll make a thing out of this. And with it, So that's what we did. And I went to a company and I asked them to give us the money to write a screenplay. We start to write the screenplay. We realized there's no way we can convey in screenplay form what this is going to be. So right. I said, give me the money you were going to give me for the screenplay. I'll make a little of the movie. So I made like 20 minutes with interview footage and backstage and concert stuff and I showed it to them and they said nah we don't like this yeah. and so it took a couple of years to you know walk in going around town to get them somebody to be interested to make it and finally they someone and they did and then we finally got to make it but there's this myth this mythology around it that like Reiner had 60 hours oh we had I'll tell you what we had the first cut that we put together was four and a half hours not including three hours of interview footage. Right. Because I interviewed them all over So you over did the... shoot a lot. Oh, God. We shot. I mean, we shot, you know, I had, it took me nine months to cut the thing because we basically edited it with the, because it's all improvised. The whole film is now, improvised. Now, was that the first time that was ever done? 
that an entire I don't movie think was improvised? I don't think anybody's ever done that. I don't know that they have. And then it sort of set this standard in terms of like, I think that was the thing that really informed Christopher Guest movies around yeah. improvising. Well, Chris did, did all those improvised movies. And then you have these TV shows now, like Larry. Yeah. yeah they do the improvising. Curve, yeah. But it seems like that Spinal Tap was really the first yeah. template for yeah. taking that risk yeah. and giving it context. Yeah, and it was funny because... We, you know, we had a, you know, a whole outline was four pages. Yeah. You know, we didn't have, we don't know. And so we tried different things. And one of the things we had, we had a group opening for Spinal Tap called The Dose. Yeah. And the do it was like a, you know, punk band. <laughs> yeah. And it was Sherry Curie yeah. and, you know, from the Runaways and stuff. And, they, they, and if you remember in Spinal Tap, there's a shot where you see there's a the kind of a herpes sore yeah. on Michael and Chris. Yeah. They're together, and people laugh at it. They know it. that was the remnants of a joke that took an hour to set up. <laughs> Basically, you see the, the dose opening for Spinal Tap, and yeah. the next shot, Chris is with uh, Sherry Curie, and the next thing you know, he's got a herpes right. sore on his lip. Yeah. Then she's with Michael. He's got a herpes sore. Right. Then he's with Harry. They all keep... They're passing her around. She keeps getting herpes. Now is a band meeting. They're all sitting around. Four guys with herpes sores <laughs> and the drummer, the only one without the herpes sore. And they said, "Yeah, I think we got to drop the dose from the from the tour." And the drummer says, "No, I like them. I think we should keep them." It took an hour to tell that joke. So that we we lost that. But it worked so good just yeah. without the unspoken yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just see two guys yeah. with herpes sores. It was perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But who was making those decisions? You? Well, yeah. I mean, we all did. You know. Yeah. The Four of us. You sat really, and edited yeah, together? We, no, I, I was the one who was in the editing yeah. room with, but I would put together something and then I'd show it to the guys and we'd all talk about it. Then I'd go back and work on it. But it really was a collaboration, the four of us. But you never thought to uh, do anything with the footage that you didn't use? Well, you know, in these DVDs and it's you around. Know, they put yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. there's a scene with bruno kirby where he gets right they get him high and he <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. he's singing my way or yeah something. yeah right right he's a big sinatra fan so so <laughs> once you got the 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 handle on the directing thing you you wanted to just do you wanted to do bigger movies scripted well movies. i always wanted to direct that's the thing that i always wanted to do so yeah i mean people would always say to me i don't understand how you could make your first movie could be a movie with no script you yeah. know and i said well but that's what i feel comfortable doing i mean yeah. i've my whole life, I grew up improvising, and that's yeah. what I do. But uh, it was harder to do a, a scripted. Why? Because you had to learn how to. to... Well, you got to know where to put the camera and <laughs> what the lights do and everything. The, the basics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the sure thing that was, that kind of made John Cusack, right? Well, yeah, he was seventeen yeah. years old when we first did that. Yeah, and then he did Cameron Crowe's movie, yeah, and that yeah. blew it up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, but Stand by Me was huge. <laughs> yeah, that one was big. But didn't know. I mean, you know, we started out, it was four 12-year-olds. Who knows if that's but how? Why would you decide that? What, did you like the story? Well, what? I liked, here's what I liked. The writing, I mean, it was based on a Stephen King yeah. uh, short story called The Body. Yeah. And when I read the script, I thought, wow, that the writing is great. These characters are great. The time frame, I loved 1959. I was 12 years old. Yeah. So that was the, the yeah. thing. And then I didn't really know what the focus of it was. And it was when I figured out that it was about Gordy's character because in the in the in the in the now in the short story it's just he's just an observer he's yeah. like one of the four when i made him the focus and that his whole thing about feeling like his father didn't care about him because yeah. his father had lost the son and cared about, more about his brother that's when it started becoming more uh, connected to me and i started feeling okay i i can tell this story and then he's a writer 
He's a writer, and uh, it had a sensibility, which is, you know, I, there's humor in it, but there's also a melancholy feel, yeah. which is the way, you with know, the, my the, personality. With some of the struggles the kids were going through. Yes. Now, like something like that, <clears throat> when you got Dreyfus there as the, the narrator and then the guy you see at the end, is that just one of those things where you call Richard up and go, hey, you want to well, do this? Well, what happened, exactly, what happened was I had somebody else doing it and it didn't quite right it wasn't quite right it wasn't that the, the actor was good but the voice and the voiceover did so i tried a few other voices and then finally i called rick up and i said hey would you do the voice and he said yeah i'll do the voice but if you want i'll reshoot it for you and i'll be the guy yeah so i said okay great oh that's great yeah, yeah. and that was a friendly thing right yeah. like you guys yeah. know each other forever yeah. and the princess bride was a uh, uh, an amazing movie. Everyone yeah, loves that movie. Yeah. It's a fairy tale with all that comedy, yeah. all that, all those great people in it. Yeah, Billy's in it. Mandy Patinkin, yeah. the guy Carrie, the guy who's in the new movie. Yeah, Carrie Elwes. Yeah, in, yeah. Being Charlie. Yeah, you wanted to do a fairy tale. Or that how did that come? Well, that was because I was a huge William Goldman fan. I had read every book that he had ever written, from uh, you know Temple of Gold, My Turn to Curtsy, Your Turn to Bow, Boys and Girls Together. So I loved it. And my yeah. dad, my dad did a play on Broadway in 1968. What was uh, that? It was called Something Different. Yeah. And Bill wrote a book about that season on Broadway called The Season. Yeah. And he became friends with my dad and when he finished Princess Bride he gave it to my dad. Yeah. He said, what do you think about this? And I and he, my dad said, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know what to do. But he said, he gave it to me. I was in my 20s at the time. He said, here, you like William Goldman, why don't you read this book? I read the book and it was like, oh my God. Yeah. This is like, you know, when you read something and it feels like the person's writing yeah. for you, yeah. it's like your sensibility. I said, wow, this is incredible. And so when I started making films, I started, I started to my friend Andy, I said, hey, they make movies out of books, don't they? What about <laughs> yeah. this? I'll make a movie. And I f said, let's see if anybody's ever tried to make a movie out of Princess Bride. I found out at that point that yes, they had, uh, you know, optioned it. You know, it was Tran Francois Truffaut, right? Uh, Norman Jewison, Redford. I mean, they all tried to do it, and uh, nobody could do it. And mm -hmm. I said, "Oh, let's see if maybe William Coleman would let me talk to him." So I was able to get a meeting with him, and he said, "Yes, yeah, do it, try yeah, it, yeah." But you found the humor in it all the way through. Well, it, it was it, it's there. I mean, that that was there in the book. I mean, that, that, who else is going to make it as funny as you, though? Well, I don't know. <laughs> you know somebody, the, the guys you just mentioned; those aren't funny guys. Somebody could do. But uh, but like your father, like directed. You know, he did a lot of movies. You know, starting with Where's Papa, and then yeah. they did The Jerk too, right? Right, right. So you were on set. For, I mean, in terms of learning how to use the camera, I mean, well, I was there for the, the for the Van Dyke show. Yeah, when my dad did the Dick Van Dyke show, and the very famous. You know, I did grab Mary Tyler Moore by the ass. Yeah, that you everybody knows that. <laughs> I didn't know that. You didn't know that. Well, now it's important that you do. What did you do? Well, I was 14 years old, yeah. you know, and I th saw her and I, she was wearing those, she was like 24, 25, yeah. she wore those Capri pants yeah. and I was, you know, my hormones were yeah. going crazy. She writes about it. I'm not telling tales out of school because yeah. she did write about it yeah. in her book and told a story on Letterman and all that. I grabbed her ass, you know, yeah. and my father, she called, uh, my father calls me into his office. Yeah. She told on me. Yeah. He said, did you write, did you grab Mary Tyler Moore by the ass? I said, yeah, I, I did. <laughs> he says, don't ever do that again. He had a big smile on his face, though. I gotta <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was happy that he you was, did uh, Yeah, something, yeah. yeah. So you saw how your father worked. Yeah, yeah. He didn't grab her on the ass. I'm no, the, no. I'm that, I'm you did that one. on your own. That's the on only one own. I did by yeah. myself. <laughs> That was different from what his career. Yeah, did you explain that you were improvising? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, in terms of learning how to direct, I mean, yes, it, it I was... saw how he worked. Yes, definitely, I I learned it at his knee and all that. And he was uh, and he was a gracious <clears throat> director, and you know, well, but... he was, you know, 
he he it was his show i mean i saw how he worked with the actors how he changed the script mm -hmm. you know i watched how they staged the cameras i did the same thing on all the family but when I, he directed you in a couple of movies how was that experience it was fine you yeah. know i mean you know it's it's fine it's you know it's, it's weird you know it's weird because like if my kid's gonna do a thing yeah. there's always got to be that feeling like yeah, yeah. that way he's bringing his kid it's yeah. good that you're funny yeah it'd be bad if you were a shitty kid i know that'd be terrible <laughs> And then, all right, so Harry Met Sally. Right. That was huge. Big hit. Yeah, your mother's line, big. My mother's line, to me, was one of the great thrills of my life that my mother, yeah. who says, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll have what, what she's, she's having, having, that that line is considered one of the top 10 lines in, in movie history. Yeah. You know, they, yeah, yeah. they talk, you know, it's like, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. And Louis, this could be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And so they got, you know, Bogart and and and, and, and Clark Gable. Yeah, and yeah. Estelle Reiner is in there with them, you know, so. <laughs> then, then you go off a, to sort of a different journey with Misery, which I loved. I love that movie. Yeah, that's, that's, that was a fun one for me to make. Well, James Caan is like you—you kind of like it was like this new thing. Like he was getting old. He'd been a you know yeah. he'd been a little out of the game, and yeah. then he comes in this sort of like humbled kind of. Like, I know what I liked about it is he's this really physical guy, and that he would be stuck in that bed. Did you like working with him? I did. I stand, every day. I came up to the, in the set. I come up to him and I said, "Billy, I said, okay, now Jimmy, here's the thing. In this scene." You're in bed. I said that to him every day. He kept looking like I was going to give him some words of wisdom. Yeah. No, see, Jimmy, in this scene, you're in bed. I said that to him every day. Did he laugh? Yeah. <laughs> I, I have no sense of what he's really like. Yeah. I, he's like he's such a big presence. Yeah. He's sunny. He's sunny calling on. I know. He got shot on the causeway. Yeah, I, I know. You can't. He's never. Freebie and the Bean. I yeah. love that movie. Yeah. You know, like, uh, the, you know, James Conn is like this guy, the gambler. Yeah. And then to see him as this older guy, yeah, yeah. And you, you got him all scared. Yeah. Of this woman, Kathy Bates. That yeah. made her. Yeah. Right. She, she was great. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Did she win an Oscar or anything? For yeah, that? she won an Oscar. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. It was fun. Do you have Oscars? No. Why, don't, what do you want me to do? Do you want to give me one? Sure, I've had I had nominated for Oscar, but I didn't win an Oscar. That's annoying. I know it's really annoying. Maybe you have to wait out for the lifetime achievement. I uh, yeah, and I think they, but you know they should do it before you. See, that was the other thing I was thinking as I watched last that. Night. As I watched the thing last night, they should have like memorial services, <laughs> like when you're alive, because what good is it? Gary Shandling, there were some big laughs there last yeah, night. Yeah. Gary didn't hear any of them. Yeah. Why don't you do Depends this? what you believe, but yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's put it this way. Even if you believe that you, there's an he's afterlife there. in heaven, he's not hearing it exactly the way it was. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's right. filtered. Yeah. It's filtered through <laughs> a lot of whatever. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, the po but the point is, wouldn't it be great if he could be around and hearing all that before he goes? Yeah, it would be. I think that's. I think we're on to something. And A uh, Few Good Men, great. It's got one of my favorite moments in movies. Which is, you can't handle the truth. Of course. Truck. Yeah, yeah. But that was from the play, right? That's from the play, yeah. And working with Jack Nicholson, was that a nervous thing? I mean, would it, well, like, when Jack, you were... Jack is like the greatest actor for uh, a director because he gives it his all yeah. all the time. Uh -huh. When he showed up in the table read, there's a lot of young actors in that, you know, yeah. Tom Cruise and Kevin, you know, Bacon. Kevin Bacon, Kevin Pollock, Pollock yeah. and, you know, a lot of Demi yeah. Moore. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a lot of good young actors. Yeah. And when he sits down at the table read, he reads it like it's 
like it's a performance. Right. Like it's re- and they it's it sends a message to everybody that we're here to to really do the work. It's, yeah. I, I liken it like to you know the you know you're taking batting practice and everybody's hitting the ball and then all of a sudden Babe Ruth steps in the cage and starts banging them into the seats and you yeah. go oh, okay yeah I and see you what felt this. that right I see right what at the this table is. Read? Yeah, yeah I see what this and is. like Tom Cruise was like <clears throat> oh, everybody shit. everybody said oh oh we better step up our game and I remember when he did that famous speech where he does that you know you yeah. can't handle the truth. We have a lot of angles, and I said to Jack, I said, look, we can do one of two things. Either I can shoot you first, yeah, and you know, I'll, or I can shoot all of the reactions, yeah, and I'll save you, you know, if you want to rehearse during. He said, yeah, why don't you shoot the reactions, and that way, by the time you turn around and shoot me, I'll be ready. Yeah. Okay, so now we're shooting, you know, reactions for Tom Cruise and Kevin Bacon, all yeah. and he giving this uh, full-out performance every, every time. Every time. And at one point I go up to Jack. I said, Jack, you know, take maybe it you should take it easy. I mean, because we're going to come around to you. And he says, Rob, you don't understand. I love to act. <laughs> and he just likes to do that. Yeah. Oh, that's a good moment, yeah. huh? Yeah. So, But how do you choose, man? So you decide to take on race. You do Ghosts of Mississippi. And that was a heavy movie. That was yeah. the Medgar Evans movie, right? Right, right. Which I saw. And it was like, you know, you, you have a lot of range, but you do bring a certain point of view to the movies and you have a directing style that's that, that I can identify. Yeah, but, you know, I think also as I've gotten older, uh, you know, I'm learning more. I, you know, it's odd to say, you know, because yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I just turned 69 and I'm still making movies. I made two this year. I'm going to make another one. And I'm learning more and more. And as I go along, I, I think I get better. My skills get better. I yeah. figure out more about what I know. What, what about economy or about yes. vision? Oh. Yes, both. Both. Yeah. You know, your your vision begets. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a conglomeration of everything you've taken in on your life. Yeah. You know, see it, and then all of a sudden you find it going out on the page in the script. Right. Just experiences you had and knowledge and information and all this stuff and it gets out there. Now, when when you do a movie, is it is it uh, something is it always something that you want to do that you initiate or are you ever hired to direct? The only time I ever did anything that I didn't want and you know, that I didn't initiate was a movie called Rumor Has It and it's with uh, Jennifer Aniston and, yeah. and and Kevin Costner, Shirley MacLaine uh-huh. and Mark Ruffalo and the only reason I did it as a favor because they had had a uh, they had started shooting and they yeah. shut the movie down uh-huh. and my friend Alan Horn who was one of he was the time running Warner Brothers who was my partner in forming Castle Rock he called and said we're in trouble and could you come and help could you oh, really? come and do it and so I said yeah okay I, I don't I didn't see that one yeah no i mean it's 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 like uh yeah. You know, it was it was an exercise. Uh huh. Yeah, that's a very diplomatic <clears throat> thing to say, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, Kevin Costner says to me, he said, "You're like a guy who came in and looked at the garage, and it's a mess." <laughs> Is what the heck? And say, okay, we're gonna put the paint cans over here. We're gonna put the. We're gonna hang the bicycle over here. We're gonna. The tools are gonna go. Yeah, to put it all. I try together. to fix it. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the uh, the bucket list. I saw that too. How did that happen? I saw the bucket list. The bucket list uh, was just a script that came in over the transom. I had turned sixty, and I started thinking about. Yeah. You know, my mortality. Right. You start to, I mean, you know, when I turned sixty, I thought of myself as a very, very 
very young old person. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. you're the beginnings of being old. Yeah. And I started thinking about, you know, life and the things that you want to do with your life and how, you know. So that came along at that time, and I went, okay. And you got to work with Jack again? Jack, yeah. He and was that was great. fun? And Morgan Freeman, who I love. Yeah. Both of them. I yeah. mean, Morgan is like, you know, the nicest, uh, yeah. easiest actor I've ever worked with. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, he probably just turns it on. and He, he does. And what's weird about M Morgan is he's the fastest study I've ever worked with. I mean, you can give him something, because Jack, when Jack and I... Every morning we'd go in the trailer and he we rewrite the scene, you know, work, yeah. whatever the scene was, and we'd hand it to Morgan. He'd take one look and he said, "Okay, I got it." Yeah, and that was it. So now the uh, there's two questions I want to ask. LBJ's not out yet, right? No, LBJ. We're hoping to come out. Is that based on the play? It, no, no. The play uh, they did. A, they're doing an HBO special that's based on the play with that's Cranston, with Brian Cranston. I think comes out in May. Yeah, <clears throat> and hopefully ours will come out at the end of the year before the election but it's with woody harrelson as lbj as lbj what years uh it takes place for the most part by the time for the time he's picked as vice president until the assassination and he assumes the presidency and delivers that famous speech in the house of representatives yeah. about uh uh continuing uh, kennedy's legacy and there's a there's some flashback to when he was majority leader uh -huh. prior to that but it's a f small sliver of time and woody harrelson i, I it's it's just off the charts how good he is he's I pretty mean, astounding well but he you'll you won't believe when you see this i mean it's he becomes this character and uh, it's just i've I, there were days i would watch it and i would go i would forget and i would go oh my god it's like it's well johnson wow. he's there he's there and it's like weird it was weird it's all shot yeah it's finished really it's finished yeah matter of fact this week we're showing it to distributors for the first time really yeah that's exciting yeah now tell me, just you know, we we can kind of close off on okay. this. Now the the creation of uh, of Castle Rock as a production company, mm -hmm. because you did pretty good with that. Yeah, I mean, we started in 1987. There were the five of us. Yeah, and we, you know, up till now we've done over 125 movies. Yeah, and Seinfeld, of course. You know, we did that. So now, how does that work with that? So you were the <clears throat> producer or one of the producers. Your production company did yeah. Seinfeld. Yeah, and yeah. so that's money forever. Hopefully. <laughs> because I met with them. I had a deal with the NBC on a pilot years ago, and Castle Rock was a production company. Right. And you guys had done Seinfeld, or maybe it was just over, maybe it was the last season or two, and uh, mine went nowhere. But I remember being excited to meet, who were the guys over there? Glenn? Was it Glenn? Glenn, Glenn Padnick, yeah. And and Richie Rosenstock. Right. Those were the guys yeah. I met. Yeah, yeah. And they were talking, it was going to yeah. be great, Yeah. nothing happened. Uh, that's upset. You need... <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't you, that great do you, a thing. Need, do you need money? What no, you, I'm all right. You I'm okay? Right. You're all right. No, no. It was a weird, I was a chef. It, it was not a great script. Yeah, yeah, but right. it, what are you going to do? I what didn't you, understand television. Well, I listen, you don't know. We we did we did a a pilot uh, prior to that uh, with Howie Mandel. Yeah, and uh, you know Jerry Seinfeld auditioned for that, and we decided to go with Howie Mandel and. That didn't work. It went like 13 episodes. Yeah. And then uh, George Shapiro, you know, who's uh, Jerry's manager, yeah. he said, well, we have an idea with Larry David, and, you know, come in and, you know, and so that's how that happened. Yeah. I mean, it was because we'd seen Jerry do yeah, it. Yeah. Of course, we thought he, you know, he's a stand-up. I didn't know he was interested in doing, you know. Right. You he know. had no idea. Yeah. And uh, and you never know if it's going to be successful. Sure. But do you, how much uh, of a part do you have in the day-to-day -day with that stuff? I didn't have, I didn't have any. I was... My biggest part was convincing 
Brandon Tartikoff not to throw it off the air. I had to go in and make the most <laughs> impassioned plea. You did? Yes, I did. And, and it, did you pace? Did you well, sit? Well, I, I screamed a lot. And really? I told, you got to well, that I, level? I, yeah, I was pretty hot because I said, "You, this is the best show that you will ever have. And if you're, you know, you reject it, you're, you're turning your back on one of the funniest creative shows you ever and he said, I can't have a show, you know, at that time it was called The Show About Nothing, you yeah. know. I mean, they had an episode where they sat around and waiting for a table at a Chinese restaurant. Yeah. And he said, I can't have a show where that's all they do is sit around waiting for a table at a Chinese restaurant. There's got to be things, there's got to be stories, there's got to be stuff. And I said, I promise you there'll be. And I and then I finally convinced him, he said, okay. And then I go to Larry and I said, Larry. We got to have stories. We need stories. He says, you want to turn this into the fucking Lucy show? I said, no, no, Larry. It's not going to be the Lucy show. I said, you're going to, I said, it's your sensibility. No matter what, it's going to be yours yeah. and you're going to be able to yeah. do it. And then, of course, Larry, you know, once he's discovered the idea of story, it was like, hey, this is great. <laughs> It was not on his... And and boy, did he have... He had intertwined things hooking up to other things. It was like he... It was like all of a sudden he had reinvented... He was so happy. But he he had not conceived of that before. Not initially. He thought it would just be two guys hanging out, (laughs) talking to... You know, like he and... Like he and Jerry would do. Yeah. And so, you know, and that was certainly part of it. That was a big part of it. Yeah. But then these right. other things And came the stories in. became so uh, they, they, unbelievable. Yeah. And what, when did that happen? When you had done the pilot or it had been on? No, this, it had been on. It had been on a little while and they were going to throw it off. Oh, and he stepped yeah. in. I stepped in. And Larry, Larry had an epiphany. Larry, yeah, he did. It took him a while, but but then then if you look at Curb Your Enthusiasm, I mean, how great is that? Yeah, and and it's it's story up the yin yang. Yeah. I mean, it's like you yeah. Know, Have you been in one of those? Yeah, I did one. Well, I'm trying to remember. I did. It was I think it was in like in the first either the first or second as year. yourself. Yeah, I mean, mm. I basically run into him at the in the waiting room of a psychiatrist's office, and and I say, uh, you know, I try to convince him to auction himself off for a charity oh, right, for right, lunch. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Groat yeah. groat syndrome. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. The equivalent of have, drinking ten cups of coffee every hour. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys are buddies, kind of. Yeah, yeah. No, he's a great guy. Larry's he's brilliant. Sweet guy. Yeah, brilliant. Well, man, I like that you 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 have you guys are all friends. It makes me feel better. Yeah. Anything you want to talk about? Well, just being Charlie's coming out uh, May sixth. Then that's a that's a that's a different kind of movie for you. Yeah, and, it really is. I mean, it, there's humor in it, but it's it's pretty dark in a lot of places. I like that the kid stand up was okay. That actor handled it okay. He did it okay. Yeah, he did. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to do. It's hard if to you're do. Not a comedian. He's not a comedian. Right. And I had to work with him and get yeah. him to. You but know. he's an open mic, you know. It's, yeah. You're not it's assuming. Open mic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's and he's also 18 years old. Yeah, you know. So he's just starting out. He's trying to. Yeah, trying to get us. Well, it's a heavy movie, and it was well done, and, and it was honest, and I appreciated oh, it. Thanks. And I'm glad your son's okay, and it was a, a, an honor and a, a thrill talking to thanks. you. Thanks. You see, nobody knows, but we're shaking hands right I know, now. It just happened. I know. Thanks, Rob. All right. How great was that? What is he? Uh, he's Rob Reiner. Come on. He's like in our hearts and minds. Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. Get tickets to my Trippany House shows through the months of uh, May and June, Tuesdays. Nice cheap ticket. Some good times. Is my guitar on? Oh, it's, it's on. Um, yeah. Stay open, people. That's one thing I learned from that. From that Shanling Memorial, among other things. Try to stay open. Stay open, stay present. 
This might be it. This might be it.